0: section two of marvels of scientific invention this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org marvels of scientific invention by thomas w corbin measuring electricity there are many people whose acquaintance with electricity consists mainly in paying the electric light bill. To such, the instruments whereby electricity is measured will make a specially interesting appeal. Current is sold in Great Britain at so much per Board of Trade unit. To state what that is, needs a preliminary explanation of the other units employed in connection with electric currents. The public electricity supply in any district is announced to be so many volts. It may be a hundred, two hundred, or perhaps 230, but whatever it be, it is always so many volts. Then the electrician speaks lightly of numbers of amperes. He may even talk of the number of watts used by the lamps, while occasionally the word ohm will leak out. Among these terms, the general reader is apt to become completely fog-bound. But really, they are quite simple, if once understood, and, as we shall see in a moment, there are some very remarkable instruments for measuring them, some of which exhibit a delicacy truly astonishing. It is well at the outset to try and divest ourselves, of the idea that there is anything mysterious or occult about electricity. It is quite true that there are many things about it very little understood, even by the most learned, but for ordinary practical purposes, it may be regarded as a fluid, which flows along a wire just as water flows along a pipe. The wire is, electrically speaking, a hole through the air, or other non-conducting substance with which it is surrounded a water pipe being a hole through a bar of iron so the copper core of an electrical wire is so far as the current is concerned but a hole through the center of a tube of silk, cotton, rubber or whatever it be electricity can flow through certain solids just as water can flow through empty space Water will not flow through a pipe unless a pressure be applied to it somewhere. In a pipe, the ends of which are at the same level, water will lie inert and motionless. Lower one end, however, and the pressure produced by gravity, in other words, the weight of the water, will cause it to move. In like manner, pressure produced by the action of a pump will make water flow. On the other hand, when it moves, it encounters resistance through the water rubbing against the walls of the pipe. Similarly, an electrical pressure is necessary before a current of electricity will flow, and every conductor offers more or less resistance to the flow of current, thus opposing the action of the pressure. Before current will flow through your domestic glow lamps, and cause them to give light, there must be a pressure at work, and that pressure is described as so many volts. A battery is really a little automatic electrical pump for producing an electrical pressure. And the volt, which is a legal measure, just as much as a pound or a yard, is a certain fraction of the pressure produced by a certain battery known as Clark's cell. It is not necessary here to say exactly what that fraction is, but it will give a general idea to state that the ordinary Lechlenke, or dry cell, such as is used for electric bells, produces a pressure of about 1.5 volts. Thus, we see the volt is the electrical counterpart of the term pound per square inch, which is used in the case of water pressure. A flow of water is measured in gallons per minute. An electrical current is measured in coulombs per second. Thus, the coulomb is the electrical counterpart of the gallon. But in this particular, we differ slightly in our methods of talking of water and electricity. Gallons per minute, or per hour, is the invariable term in the former case, but in the latter, We do not speak of coulombs per second, although that is what we mean, for we have a special name for one coulomb per second, and that name is ampere. One ampere is one coulomb per second. Two amperes are two coulombs per second, and so on. There is no recognized term to denote the resistance which a water pipe offers to the passage of water through it. But in the similar case with electricity, there is a term specially invented for the purpose the ohm. Legally, it is the resistance of a column of mercury of a certain size and weight. A rough idea of it is given by the fact that a copper wire a sixteenth of an inch thick and four hundred feet long has a resistance of about one ohm. The three units the volt, ampere and ohm, are so related that a pressure of 1 volt acting upon a circuit with a resistance of 1 ohm will produce a current of 1 ampere. A current can do work. When it lights or heats your room or drives a tramcar. car, it is doing work, and the rate at which a current does work is found by multiplying together the number of volts and the number of amperes. The result is in still another unit, the Watt, and a 1,000 watts is a kilowatt. Finally, to crown the whole story, a kilowatt for one hour is a Board of Trade unit. So, for every unit which you pay for in the quarterly bill, you have had a current equal to 1,000 watts for an hour. To give a concrete example, if the pressure of your supply is 200 volts, and you take a current of 5 amperes for an hour, you will have consumed 1 btu. Perhaps it will give added clearness to this explanation to tabulate the terms as follows. Volt equals the unit of pressure analogous to pounds per square inch in the case of water. Coulomb equals the measure of quantity analogous to the gallon. Ampere the measure of the strength of a current, meaning one coulomb per second. Watt equals the unit denoting the power for work of any current. It is the result of multiplying together volts and amperes. Kilowatt is a thousand watts and a board of trade unit, a current of one kilowatt flowing for one hour. In practice, the measurements are generally made by means of the connection between electricity and magnetism. A current of electricity is a magnet. Whenever a current is flowing, it is surrounded by a region in which magnetism can be felt. This region is called the magnetic field, and the strength of the field varies with the strength that is the number of amperes in the current. If a wire carrying a current be wound up into a coil, it is evident that the magnetic field will be more intense than if the wire be straight, for it will be concentrated into a smaller area. Iron, with its peculiar magnetic properties, if placed in a magnetic field, seems to draw the magnetic forces towards itself, and consequently, if the wire be wound round a core of iron, the magnetism, due to the current, will be largely concentrated at the ends of the core, but the main principle remains in any given magnet, the magnetic power exhibited will be in proportion to the current flowing. The switchboard at a generating station is always supplied with instruments called ammeters, an abbreviation for ampere meter for the purpose of measuring the current passing out from the dynamos. Each of these consists of a coil of wire through which the current passes. In some, there is a piece of iron nearby, which is attracted more or less as the current varies, the iron being pulled back by a spring, and its movement against the tension of the spring being indicated by a pointer on a dial. In others, the coil itself is free to swing in the neighborhood of a powerful steel magnet. The interaction between the electromagnet, or coil, and the permanent magnet, being such that they approach each other or recede from each other as the current varies. A pointer on a dial records the movements as before. In yet another kind, the permanent magnet gives way to a second coil, the current passing through both in succession, the result being very much the same, the two coils attracting each other more or less according to the current. Another kind of ammeter, known as a thermo-ammeter, works on quite a different principle. It consists of a piece of fine platinum wire, which is arranged as a shunt, that is to say, a certain small but definite proportion of the current to be measured passes through it. Now being fine, the current has considerable difficulty in forcing its way through this wire, and the energy so expended becomes turned into heat in the wire. It is indeed a mild form of what we see in the filament of an incandescent lamp, where the energy expended in forcing the current through makes the filament white-hot. The same principle is at work when we rub out a pencil mark with India rubber, whereby the rubber becomes heated, as most of us have observed. The wire, then, is heated by the current passing through it and accordingly expands. The amount of expansion, forming an indication of the current passing, the elongation of the wire, is made to turn a pointer. A simple modification makes any of these instruments into a voltmeter. This instrument is intended to measure the force, or pressure, in the current as it leaves the dynamo. A short branch circuit is constructed, leading from the positive wire near the dynamo to the negative wire or to the earth, where the pressure is zero. In this circuit is placed the instrument together with a coil made of a very long length of fine wire, so that it has a very great resistance. Very little current will flow through the branch circuit because of the high resistance of the coil, but what there is will be in exact proportion to the pressure. The voltmeter is therefore the same as the ammeter, except that its dial is marked for volts instead of for amperes, and it has to be provided with the resistance coil. Instruments of the amateur type can also be used as ohmeters. In this case, what is wanted is to test the resistance of a circuit, and it is done by applying a battery, the voltage of which is known, and seeing how much current flows. All the voltmeters and ohmmeters mentioned owe their method of working to what is known as ohm's law one of the greatest steps in the development of electrical science was taken when dr ohm put forward the law which he had discovered whereby pressure current and resistance are related the reader will probably have noticed from what has already been said about the units of measurement the volt the ampere and the ohm that the current varies directly as the pressure and inversely as the resistance that is the famous and important ohm's law and any one who has once grasped that has gone a long way towards understanding many of the principal phenomena of electric currents but the instruments so far referred to are of the big clumsy type suitable for measuring large currents and great pressures they are like the great railway way bridges which weigh a whole truckload at a time, and are good enough if they are true to a quarter of a hundredweight. The instruments about to be described are more comparable with the delicate balance of the chemist, which can detect the added weight when a pencil mark is made upon a piece of paper. Indeed, beside them such a balance is quite crude and clumsy. They may be said to be the most delicate measuring instruments in existence we will commence with the galvanometer the simplest form of this is a needle like that of a mariner's compass very delicately suspended by a thin fiber in the neighborhood of a coil of wire the magnetic field produced by the current flowing in the wire tends to turn the needle which movement is resisted by its natural tendency to point north and south Thus the current only turns the needle a certain distance, which distance will be in proportion to its strength. The deflection of the needle, therefore, gives us a measure of the strength of the current. But such an instrument is not delicate enough for the most refined experiments, and the improved form, generally used, is due to that prince of inventors, the late Lord Kelvin. He originally devised it. It is interesting to note, not for laboratory experiments, but for practical use as a telegraph instrument in connection with the early Atlantic cables. Before describing it, it may sharpen the reader's interest to mention a wonderful experiment which was made by Varley, the famous electrician, on the first successful Atlantic cable. He formed a minute battery of a brass gun-cap, with a scrap of zinc and a single drop of acidulated water. This he connected up to the cable. Probably there is not one reader of this book, but would have thought, if he had been present, that the man was mad. What conceivable good can come of connecting such a feeble source of electrical pressure to the 2,000 miles of wire spanning the great ocean. The very idea seems fantastic in the extreme. Yet that tiny battery was able to make its power felt even over that great distance, for the Thompson mirror galvanometer was there to detect it. 2,000 miles away, the galvanometer felt and was operated by the force generated in a battery about the size of one of the capital letters on this page this wonderful instrument consisted of a magnet made of a small fragment of watch spring suspended in a horizontal position by means of a thread of fine silk close to the coil of fine wire when current flowed through the coil the magnetic field caused the watch spring magnet to swing around but when the current ceased the untwisting of the silk brought it back to its original position again. So far it seems to differ very little from the ordinary galvanometer previously mentioned, but the stroke of genius was in the method of reading it. With a small current, the movement of the magnet was too small to be observed by the unaided eye. So it was attached to a minute mirror made of one of those little circles of glass used for covering microscope slides, silvered on the back. The magnet was cemented to the back of this, yet both were so small that together their weight was supported by a single thread of cocoon silk. Light from a lamp was made to fall upon this mirror, thereby throwing a spot of light upon a distant screen. Thus the slightest movement of the magnet was magnified into a considerable movement of the spot of light the beam of light from the mirror to the screen became in fact a long lever or pointer without weight and without friction the task of watching the rocking to and fro of the spot of light was found to be too nerve-racking for the telegraph operators and so lord kelvin improved upon his galvanometer in two ways he first of all managed to give it greater turning power, so that, activated by the same current, the new instrument would work much more strongly than the older one. Then he utilized this added power to move a pen, whereby the signals were recorded automatically on a piece of paper. The new instrument is known as the siphon recorder. The added power was obtained by turning the instrument inside out, as it were, making the coil the moving part, and the permanent magnet the fixed part. This enabled him to employ a very powerful permanent magnet, in place of the minute one made of watch spring. The interaction of the two magnets is the result of their combined strength, and that of the coil being limited by the strength of the minute current. The only way to increase the combined power of the two was to substitute a large powerful magnet for the small magnetized watch spring this large magnet would of course have been too heavy to swing easily and therefore the positions had to be reversed so now we have two types of galvanometer both due originally to the invention of lord kelvin for some purposes the Thomson type his name was thompson before he became lord kelvin are still used but in a slightly elaborated form. Its sensitiveness is such that a current of a thousandth of a microampere will move the spot of light appreciably, and when one comes to consider that a microampere is a millionth part of an ampere, this is perfectly astounding. But there is a more wonderful story still to come of an instrument which can detect a millionth of a microampere, or one millionth of a millionth of an ampere. It is not generally known that we are all possessors of an electric generator in the form of the human heart, but it is so, and Professor Eindhoven of Leiden, wishing to investigate these currents from the heart, found himself in need of a galvanometer exceeding in sensitiveness anything then known. Even the tiny needles or coils with their minute mirrors have some weight, and so possess in an appreciable degree the property of inertia, in virtue of which they are loath to start movement and having started are reluctant to stop. This inertia, it is easy to see militates against the accurate recording of rapid variations in minute currents so the energetic professor set about devising a new galvanometer which should answer his purpose this is known as the string galvanometer the main body of the instrument is a large powerful electromagnet in shape like a large pair of jaws nearly shut energized by a strong current this magnet produces an exceedingly strong magnetic field in the small space between the teeth, as it were. In this space there is stretched a fine thread of quartz, which is almost perfectly elastic. It is a non-conductor, however, so it is covered with a fine coating of silver. Silver wire is sometimes used, but no way has yet been found of drawing any metallic wire so thin as the quartz fiber which is sometimes as thin as two thousandths of a millimeter, or about a twelve thousandth of an inch. A hundred pages of this book make up a thickness of about an inch, so that one leaf is about a fiftieth of an inch. Consequently, the fiber in question could be multiplied two hundred and forty times before it became as stout as the paper on which these words are printed. The current to be measured is passed through the stretched fiber, and the interaction of the magnetic field by which the fiber is then surrounded with the magnetic field in which it is immersed, causes it to be deflected to one side. Of course, the deflection is exceedingly small in amount, and as it is undesirable to hamper its movements by the weight of a mirror, no matter how small, some other means of reading the instrument had to be devised. This is a microscope which is fixed to one of the jaws through a fine hole in which the movements of the fiber can be viewed. Or what is often better still, a picture of the wire can be projected through the microscope onto a screen or onto a moving photographic plate or strip of photographic paper. In the latter case, a permanent record is made of the changes in the flowing current. An electric picture and thus be made of the working of a man's heart. He holds in his hands two metal handles, or is in some other way connected to the two ends of the fiber by wires, just as the handles of a shocking coil are connected to the ends of the coil. The faint currents caused by the beating of his heart are thus set down in the form of a wavy line. Such a diagram is called a cardiogram, and it seems that each of us has a particular form of a cardiogram peculiar to himself, so that a man could almost be recognized and distinguished from his fellows by the electrical action of his heart. The galvanometer has a near relative, the electrometer, the astounding delicacy of which renders it equally interesting. It is particularly valuable in certain important investigations as to the nature and construction of atoms. The galvanometer, it will be remembered, measures minute currents the electrometer measures minute pressures particularly those of small electrically charged bodies every conductor and all things are conductors more or less can be given a charge of electricity any insulated wire for example if connected to a battery will become charged current will flow into it and there remain stationary and there is what we mean by a charge as opposed to a current. Air compressed into a closed vessel is a charge. Air, however compressed, flowing along a pipe, would be better described as a current. Imagine one of those cylinders used for the conveyance of gas under pressure, and suppose that we desire to find the pressure of the gas with which it is charged. We connect a pressure gauge to it, and see what the finger of the gauge has to say. What happens is that gas from the cylinder flows into the little vessel which constitutes the gauge, and there records its own pressure. And just the same applies with electrometers, precisely as the pressure gauge measures the pressure of air or gas in some vessel, so the electrometer measures the electrical pressure in a charged body. Further some of the charged bodies with which the student of physics is much concerned are far smaller than can be seen with the most powerful microscope how wonderfully minute and delicate therefore must be the instrument which can be influenced by the tiny charge which so small a body can carry it will be interesting here to describe an experiment performed with an electrometer by professor rutherford by which he determined how many molecules there are, in a centimeter of gas. A number very important to know, but very difficult to ascertain, since molecules are too small to be seen. This number, by the way, is known to science as Avogadro's constant. Everyone has heard of radium, and knows that it is in a state which can best be described as a long, drawn-out explosion. It is always shooting off tiny particles night and day year in and year out it is firing off these exceedingly minute projectiles of which there are two kinds one of which appears to be an atom of helium some years ago when radium was being much talked about and the names of monsieur and madame curie were in everyone's mouth little toys were sold the invention i believe of sir william crookes called spintheroscopes. Each of these consisted of a short brass tube, with a small lens in one end. Looking through the lens in a dark room, one could see little splashes of light on the walls of the tube. Those splashes were caused by a tiny speck of radium in the middle of the tube, the helium atoms from which, by bombarding the inner surface of the tube, produced the sparks. Now, if we can count those splashes, we can tell how many atoms of helium are being given off per minute. And if then we reckon how many minutes it takes to accumulate a cubic centimeter of helium, we can easily reckon how many atoms go to the cubic centimeter. But the difficulty is to count them. So, the learned professor called in the aid of the electrometer. He could not count all the atoms shot off. So he put the piece of radium at one end of a tube and an electrometer at the other. Every now and then an atom shot right through the tube and out at the farther end. And since each of these atoms from radium is charged with electricity, each, as it emerged, operated the electrometer. By simply watching the twitching of the instrument, therefore, it was possible to count how many atoms shot through the tube. One atom, one twitch and from the size and position of the tube, it was possible to reckon what portion of the whole number shot off would pass that way. The result of the experiment showed that there are, in a cubic centimeter of helium, a number of atoms represented by 256 followed by 17 knots, and as helium is one of the few substances in which the molecule is formed of but one atom, That is also the number of molecules. And now consider this, please. A cubic centimeter is about the size of a boy's marble. That contains the vast number of molecules just mentioned. And the electrometer was able to detect the presence of those one at a time. Need one add another word as to the inconceivable delicacy of the instrument? In its simplest form, the electrometer is called the electroscope two strips of gold leaf are suspended by their ends under a glass or metal shade as they hang normally they are in close proximity their upper ends are in fact in contact and are attached to a small vertical conductor a charge imparted to the small conductor will pass down into the leaves and since it will charge them both they will repel each other so that their lower ends will swing apart. Such an instrument is very delicate, but because of the extreme thinness of the leaves, it is very difficult to read accurately the amount of their movement, and so to determine the charge which has been given to them. In a more recent improvement, therefore, only one strip of gold leaf is used, the place of the other being taken by a copper strip. The whole of the movement is thus in the single gold leaf, as the copper strip is comparatively stiff, and it is possible to arrange for the movement of this one piece of gold leaf to be measured by a microscope. The other principal kind of electrometer we owe, as we do the galvanometers, to the wonderful ingenuity of Lord Kelvin. In this, the moving part is a strip of thin aluminum. Which is suspended in a horizontal position by means generally of a fine quartz fiber since it is necessary that this fiber should be a conductor which quartz is not it is electroplated with silver thus a charge communicated to the upper end of the fiber where it is attached to the case passes down to the aluminum needle as it is called now the needle is free to swing to and fro with a rotating motion, between two metal plates carefully insulated. Each plate is cut into four quadrants, the opposite ones being electrically connected, while all are insulated from their nearest neighbors. One set of quadrants is charged positively, and one set negatively by a battery, but these charges have no effect upon the needle until it itself is charged. As soon as that occurs, however, they pull it round, and the amount of its movement indicates the amount of the charge upon the needle, and therefore the pressure existing upon the charged body to which it is connected. The direction of its movement shows, moreover, whether the charge be positive or negative. A little mirror is attached to the needle, so that its slightest motion is revealed by the movement of a spot of light as in the case of the mirror galvanometers instruments such as these are called quadrant electrometers my readers will remember too the string galvanometer already mentioned the same idea has been adapted to this purpose a fine fibre is stretched between two charged conductors while the fibre is itself connected to the body whose charge is being measured the charge which it derives from the body causes it to be deflected, which deflection is measured by a microscope. In all cases of transmission of electricity over long distances, for lighting or power purposes, the currents are alternating. They flow first one way and then the other, reversing perhaps 20 times a second, or it may be 200, or even more times in that short period. Some electric railways are worked with alternating current, and it is used for lighting quite as much as direct current and is equally satisfactory. In wireless telegraphy it is essential. In that case, however, the reversals may take place millions of times per second. Consequently, to distinguish the comparatively slowly changing currents of a frequency or periodicity of a few hundredths per second from these much more rapid ones, the latter are more often spoken of as electrical oscillations, and these alternating and oscillating currents need to be measured just as the direct currents do, yet in many cases the same instruments will not answer. There has therefore grown up a class of wonderful measuring instruments specially designed for this purpose by which not only does the station engineer know what his alternating current dynamos are doing but the wireless operator can tell what is happening in his apparatus the investigator can probe the subtleties of the currents which he is working with and apparatus for all purposes can be designed and worked with a system and reason which would be impossible but for the possibility of being able to measure the behavior of the subtle current under all conditions one trouble In connection with measuring these alternating currents, is that they are very reluctant to pass through a coil. One method by which this difficulty can be overcome has been mentioned incidentally already. I refer to the heating of a wire through which current is passing. This is just the same whether the current be alternating or direct. One of the simplest instruments of this class has been appropriated by the Germans, who have named it the Rice Electrical Thermometer, although it was really invented nearly a century ago by Sir William Snow Harris. It consists of a glass bulb on one end of a glass tube. The current is passed through a fine wire inside this bulb, and as the wire becomes heated, it expands the air inside the bulb. This expansion moves a little globule of mercury, which lies in the tube, and which forms the pointer or indicator by which the instrument is read. As the temperature of the wire rises, the mercury is forced away from the bulb. As the temperature falls, it returns. And as the temperature is varied by the passage of the current, so the movement of the mercury is a measure of the current. Another way is to employ a rectifier. This is a conductor which has the peculiar property of allowing current to pass one way but not the other. It thus eliminates every alternate current, and changes the alternating current into a series of intermittent currents all in the same direction. Rectified current is thus hardly described by the term continuous, but still, it is continuous current in the sense that the flow is always in the same direction, and so it can be measured by the ordinary continuous current instruments. The difficulty about it is that there is some doubt as to the relation between the quantity of rectified current, which the galvanometer registers, and the quantity of alternating current, which, after all, is the quantity which is really to be measured. How the rectification is accomplished will be referred to again in the chapter of Wireless Telegraphy. But, to return to these thermal galvanometers, as those are termed which ascertain the strength of a current by the heat which it produces, the simple little contrivance of Sir William Snow Harris, his more elaborate successors, of which perhaps the most interesting are those associated with the name of Mr. W. Dudell, who has made the subject largely his own. Besides their interest as wonderfully delicate measuring instruments, these have an added interest since they introduce us to another strange phenomenon in electricity. We have just noted the fact that electricity causes heat. Now we shall see the exact opposite, in which heat produces electrical pressure and current. And the feature of Mr. Dudell's instruments is the way in which these two things are combined. By a roundabout, but very effective way, he rectifies the current to be measured, for he first converts some of the alternating current into heat, and then converts that heat into continuous current. If two pieces of dissimilar metals be connected together by their ends, so as to form a circuit, and one of the joints be heated, an electrical pressure will be generated which will cause a current to flow round the circuit. The direction in which it will flow will depend upon the metals employed. The amount of the pressure will also depend upon the metals used, combined with the temperature of the junctions. With any given pair of metals, however, the force, and therefore the volume of the current, will vary as the temperature. Really, it will be the difference in temperature between the hot junction and the cold junction but if we so arrange things that the cold junction shall always remain about the same the current which flows will vary as the temperature of the hot one the volume of that current will therefore be a measure of the temperature such an arrangement is known as a thermocouple it is becoming of great use in many manufacturing processes as a means of measuring temperatures in the dudell galvanometers, therefore the alternating current is first led to a heater consisting of fine platinized quartz fiber or thin metal wires just above the heater there hangs a thermocouple consisting of two little bars one of bismuth and the other of antimony these two are connected together at their lower end where they nearly touch the heater but their upper ends are kept a little apart being joined however by a loop formed of silver strip. This arrangement will be quite clear from the accompanying sketch, and it will be observed that the loop is so shaped that the whole thing can be easily suspended by a delicate fiber which will permit it to swing easily, like the coil in a mirror galvanometer. It is indeed a swinging coil of a galvanometer, formed with a single turn instead of the many turns usual in the ordinary instruments, and it will be noticed from the sketch that there is a mirror fixed just above the top of the loop. This coil, then, with the thermocouple at its lower extremity, is hung between the ends of a powerful magnet, much as the fiber of the Eindhoven galvanometer is situated. The alternating current to be measured comes along through the heater. The heater rises in temperature. That warms the lower end of the thermocouple. Instantly, a steady continuous current begins to circulate round the silver strip, which forms the coil, and that, acting just as the current does in the ordinary galvanometer, causes the coil to swing round more or less, which movement is indicated by the spot of light from the mirror. A current, as small as 20 microamperes, or 20 millionths of an ampere, can be measured in this way. Mr. Dudell has also perfected a wonderful instrument called an oscillograph, for the strange purpose of making actual pictures of the rise and fall in volume of current in alternating circuits. To realize the almost miraculous delicacy of these wonderful instruments, we need first of all to construct a mental picture of what takes place in a circuit through which alternating current is passing. The current begins to flow. It gradually increases in volume until it reaches its maximum. Then it begins to die away, until it becomes nil. Then it begins to grow in the opposite direction, increases to its maximum, and dies away once more. That cycle of events occurs over and over again at the rate, it may be hundreds of times per second. Now, for the actual efficient operation of electrical machinery, working on alternating current, it is very necessary to know exactly how those changes take place do they occur gradually the current growing and increasing in volume regularly and steadily or irregularly in a jumpy manner engineers have a great fancy for setting out such changes in the form of diagrams in which case the alternations are represented by a wavy line and it is of much importance to obtain an actual diagram showing not what the changes should be according to theory but what they really are in practice it is then possible to see whether the wave form of the current is what it ought to be once again we must turn our thoughts back to the string galvanometer in that case it will be remembered there is a conducting fibre passing between the ends or poles of a powerful magnet the result of which arrangement is that as the current passes through the fibre it is bent by the action of the magnetic forces produced around it if the current pass one way downwards let us say the fibre will be bent one way while if it passes upwards it will be bent the opposite way suppose then that we have two fibres instead of one and that we send the current up one and down the other one will be bent inwards and the other outwards then suppose that we fix a little mirror to the center of the fibers, one side of it being attached to one fiber and the other to the other. As one fiber advances and the other recedes, the mirror will be turned, more or less. Consequently, as the current flowing in the fibers increases or decreases or changes in direction, the mirror will be slewed around more or less in one direction or the other. The spot of light thrown by the mirror will then dance from side to side with every variation and if it be made to fall upon a rapidly moving strip of photographic paper a wavy line will be drawn upon the paper which will faithfully represent the changes in the current in its action of course it is not unlike an ordinary mirror galvanometer but its special feature is in the mechanical arrangement of its parts which enable it to move with sufficient rapidity to follow the rapidly succeeding changes which need to be investigated it is far less sensitive than say a thomson galvanometer but the latter could not respond quickly enough for this particular purpose end of section two